0: Hi, everyone. Artisan here, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. Um, so as you can see in the little Spotify artwork thing for this episode, uh, I'm not using the word episode anymore. These are now being referred to as chapters, and there is no, like, deep lore meaning behind all that. It's literally just from my background in, like, storytelling and my fascination with anime and just that that sort of stuff it's really just a, a story based thing um I also think it could potentially help separate me from other platforms that do something similar to what I do so yeah everything is going to be chapters moving forward uh this is chapter 27 or 28 I don't exactly remember offhand I don't keep track or I do keep track of like the episodes uh as far as like when I upload them but like in my brain right now I don't fucking know what episode chapter. Shit, I fucking called it episode. I have no idea in my head what chapter this actually is. I'll go back later on and find out, but this is chapter whatever it is that you're seeing on your phone screen or computer or whatever it is that you listen to this on. Um. Okay, so that was really, really all I had to say. I kind of want to make this intro a little bit shorter than it usually is because there's a lot to get through this week. So for this chapter, we're going to be talking about singles from the likes of... Limp Biscuit, The Devil Wears Prada, A Mice and Men, Boston Manor, and a couple of others. And then Records. This was a banner week for Records, honestly, in my opinion. I don't rem- remember the last time, and this even goes back the last couple of weeks, which were stacked. But I don't remember the last time that there was a week as consistent as last. So we've got Records from Dying Wish, Asking Alexandria, Wage War, Andres, Bill Murray, and Cherry Amore. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the episode. Fuck! Chapter! God damn it! Pretty much inadvertently, I have made this section of every chapter about news or something within like scene related stuff that I kind of want to talk about. Um, I, I guess this is the opportunity that I'll take to mention that, uh, Eternal Blue by Spirit Box reached number 13 on the Billboard 200. For those who don't know, uh, the Billboard 200 is the weekly chart that lists the 200 most I think it's just purchased. I don't know if it's streamed, but like the 200 most purchased records over that week. Um, the 200 most like engaged records, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Um, I actually don't really know like the analytics behind all that. I just know that it is the chart that gauges the popularity of records in the country. So Spirit Box reaching number 13 on their debut is fucking amazing. Uh, Scene facts, I believe, had said that this was the first instance of a metal record uh, for a band's debut charting that high since *Issues* back in 2014, and if you go further back than that, *Evanescence* in 2003. So, this does not happen often for for debuts, and it happens even less nowadays. Just in general for the scene, there was a time back in like 2012 to 2014 or 15 where the like the higher named higher echelon bands in our scene it was pretty common for them to have high charting records i remember um like i think a My man had a top 10 sleeping or sirens had a top 10 pierce veil probably did uh chiodos did it in 07 Underoath did it in 06 um so you know this used to happen a lot for those bands that like put in the work and they got their name out there and they had great receptions, but just over time, it, it stopped being a thing. And like, you know, I guess Bring Me the Horizon does it now, and then I don't know who else would do it. Um, m- maybe like a data member did it on bad vibrations, but I wouldn't even be too certain about that. Um, so yeah, it, this is something that really, really should be admired. It's something that we should look at and just have a lot of pride in Spirit Box belonging to our scene and being ours and i i recommended eternal blue back when i reviewed it if you have not heard eternal blue yet i'm not gonna say please check it out i'm just gonna say i think there's a lot out of that record that everyone listening to this no matter what kind of scene music you're here for you can take something from eternal blue and really really sink your teeth into it okay so let's get into some singles now we got a couple to talk about so let's get through this shit uh, Between You and Me made the announcement that they are dropping their sophomore album Armageddon on November 19th And along with that we got the third single off of it. It is called Butterflies Butterflies <laughs> We're getting somewhere with the singles run. We really, really are. They already had Supervillain and Deadbeat to their names for this album cycle, and now you throw in Butterflies, which I, I don't know if this is my favorite of the singles so far. I know Deadbeat is not. Deadbeat is a very, very good song, but I, j- just the caliber of both Supervillain and then now Butterflies, like, this is an almost legendary run for a, a band on an album cycle, in my opinion, as far as like singles go to be honest there was something that i don't remember if it was the band account or like a member of between you and me but someone had tweeted like a day before the song dropped that it was a love song and i guess like my perception of like pop punk love songs made me paint this image of some acoustic track or like a primarily acoustic track and i was like okay that'll be i guess cool um and then fucking butterflies is just this very explosive and catchy and fun as fuck song that has a lot of just really really fun lines in it i'm gonna pull up one right now uh bear with me because i didn't uh have this uh i didn't have this planned out already um so yeah what are we doing right now uh we're looking up lyrics to butterflies um Says she's a vegan, she tells me all the time, I barely know her, but she starts giving me butterflies, she loves the planet and everything it hides, she sees the good in everybody with the blue eyes. Spent nights lost in my head, girl I wanna love you, but I'll settle for sex, I want you so bad, more than just a space in my bed. This is the fun and quirky shit that I come to pop punk for, and between you and me have been giving me just everything that I, like I admire about the genre so much through the three singles, and then... We've got seven more songs coming with Armageddon, and I'm really, really excited for this. I think this could be a a big album for Between You and Me, a big album just for myself personally this year. Actually, I'm smiling right now thinking about it, and there aren't many bands that can do that, so Between You and Me, Armageddon, November 19th, more than looking forward to it. So, uh, if anyone has figured it out by now, the order in which I talk about songs on this podcast for the singles is dependent on where they were ranked in Scenic Overlook. Scenic Overlook being the ranking system that I do every weekend for my favorite songs of that week. Uh, and there are always bands that I expect to see on Scenic Overlook whenever they do shit. A couple more are still to come on this chapter. Uh, one of the bands that I... Never really thought I would put up there, especially this high, was Limp Biscuit. And they just dropped the song Dad Vibes, and it is fucking phenomenal. The Limp Bizkit comeback has been one of my favorite arcs in all of music so far this year. Uh, they had the Lollapalooza set back in July where Fred Durst came out looking like someone's fucking dad and apparently that was all strategic now that, you know, we have dad vibes and just everything about this song, it does it infinitely feel like something that I would have heard from Limp Bizkit back in the early 2000s and... There's that nostalgia factor. I didn't, like, really, really listen to Limp Bizkit back then, but there wasn't really any way to avoid being exposed to their music. So, I, I do have this nostalgia factor with them, and particularly with, like, Chocolate Starfish, and then Results May Vary. And uh, Dad Vibes does feel like something that would fit in with that era of Limp Bizkit. And, you know, I just... Where did this come from? Dude, I, there's no reason why... In the fucking year of 2021, I should be simping for Limp Biscuit, but, you know, that's where we're at. That's where we are. That is my reality, and I cannot lie to you guys. I will never lie to anyone listening to this. I fucking love dad vibes, and I, I am all in on the resurgence of Limp Biscuit. The C4 Cinema released another single from their upcoming record in CinemaScope with Stereophonic Sound, which is set to be released on November 12th. The song is, If You Deserve It, You Deserve It. We- Just for the record, I'm not okay with uh, assuming that a band ripped off another band on something. Um, You know, there are instances where songs take heavy inspiration from other songs and it blows up and becomes a huge deal you know like with um when wage war did it where low sounded a lot like doomsday by architects and then earlier this year soft cult had that song i can't remember the name of it but it sounded a lot like um two-way mirror by Loathe. there are a couple songs where like in the last year or two that i listened to them and i'm like this definitely sounds like something from Bring Me the Horizon, and granted, Bring Me the Horizon is one of, you know, the most influential bands in the scene today and over the last couple of years. There are still instances where I hear songs I'm just like, where was this going? So, uh, Being in the Ocean has a song called Play Pretend that sounded a lot like Mantra. Hands Like Houses has a song called Space that sounded a lot like In the Dark and Dream on Dreamer had a song called Feel So Empty that sounded a lot like Wonderful Life. So now, if you deserve it, you deserve it. It sounds quite close, like in some areas dangerously close, to Medicine. I am not going to say that the C4 Cinema directly ripped off Medicine. I will say that they could have looked at Medicine and used it as like a template for what they wanted this song to be. And to their credit, I think they took that template, if that's really what they did, and they made something that is uni- uniquely their own and they should be very proud of. If you deserve it, you deserve it. It doesn't sound like anything else on this album cycle so far, and I think that works to its advantage. It's very catchy. The electronic synths throughout the song are so soothing and the perfect connecting thread for everything that they're trying to do. Uh, Everybody in the C4 Cinema, they sound great. They hold their own weight, and I... You know, I, I don't like every song from the album cycle so far. There was one song, I think it was Drip God, that I said it's just okay. That song is starting to grow on me, honestly. And so factoring that into like Tap Tap Lee, and then now If You Deserve It, You Deserve It, and uh, there was the other one, God, what was that called? Uh, I'll figure it out later. But my point is that the C4 Cinema are doing pretty much everything right for this album cycle, if not almost everything right, and... I I really, really want this to be the record that lets them take off or at least just gain considerably more success and attention than they've had for the last couple of years, been lacking in a lot of ways, honestly. The C4 Cinemas should be much bigger than they actually are is what I'm trying to get at, and my hope is that on November 12th, they can see that success for themselves. Very shortly after releasing Z2 back in May of this year, The Devil Wears Prada already have a new single to their name, it is called Sacrifice. Don't don't? I,
1: swear, no, no, ready, so
0: very... I think The Devil Wears Prada did everything that they needed to with Z2, it was the perfect way to pay homage to the original Zombie. It was a great way to, you know, satisfy their audience that were still after that metalcore sound from them after they had changed their sound, like, almost drastically back on the act. Uh, what I love about Sacrifice is that it kind of does pick back up where the act left off. It still has that same, like, core melodic sound that the act did where a lot of this track is... In some ways, like, straightforward, alternative, but it's also just really eerie and creepy, and it has the perfect blend of heavy with the, like, the melodic sensibility that you found on a lot of songs on the act. Sacrifice is just one of the biggest showcases I think the Devil Wars Prada have ever managed to pull off. It takes everything that this band is good at, wraps it into one, and it's like... God, fucking car passing by again. I hate this shit, dude. Anyways sacrifice it you know it's the devil Wars really really showing all of the capabilities everything that they've uh, been able to accumulate as far as talent goes over the last what is it 16 years now that they've been a band maybe a little bit longer um and i forgot who tweeted this it might have been marcos from sots uh but he said something along the lines of like it's amazing to see the Devil Wears Prada at this stage in their careers, like so late into the game, putting out the best material that they ever have. And I don't know if I really, really believe this is the best material they ever have because I'm such a fucking sucker for plagues and with Roots Above. But the the sound change and the direction that the Devil Wears Prada have been going in for the last two years, it's up there with their best material, I think. It is They do stand like in a league of their own, and I am so eager to hear them continue to go down this route. Sacrifice is incredible, and I, I really just cannot find every positive thing that I want to say about this song. We have been absolutely fucking blessed with another new single from Boston Manor. This time it is Algorithm. This is completely off topic, but I'm watching a YouTube video while I do this, and I put it in 4K for the first time, and bro, this shit go dummy. Why didn't I ever do this? Uh, Anyways, Boston Manor, uh, they go dummy too. Especially on Algorithm, which is kind of a. I don't want to say it's like vastly different from anything than Dummy 4, because it has uh, like a lot of the connecting themes of their other songs, but Algorithm, it has like this real, like, pop influence to it. It has such a, a groove and a bounce to its instrumentation and delivery. To to be completely honest, it really does remind me of something that I would have heard from Muse. And maybe saying like Boston Manor times Muse doesn't really make any sense or it doesn't sound like something that could work, but this one really really fucking works. I think this is just a, another instance of Boston Manor like showing that they are truly capable of absolutely nailing whatever sound it is that they desire and Whatever this band is going to be doing in 2022, whether it be an album, an EP, just a couple singles, and a, a tour run, like who, who knows, and whatever it is, I have no doubt that Boston Manor are just going to fucking kill it like they always do. Of my and Men dropped their latest single, which I can only assume is going to be on the third EP installment of the year for them. It is Mosaic. Loki, I sort of had like this out-of-body experience when I initially heard Mosaic because the song starts off very similarly to how The Depths did. And The Depths was one of my favorite of My Men songs from the Austin Carlyle era. So it was really cool to kind of be put back into that spot. And then from there, the song just like kicks into gear and it's just unrelentingly heavy all the way through. Amice and Men is one of those metalcore bands that I will be... Like, I can take whatever it is that they're doing. Like, I prefer their more melodic stuff. But if they're just going to be heavy all the way through, I'm equally okay with that. I, I think they've proven time and time again that they're more than capable of executing that sound to pure fucking perfection, in my opinion. Um, with Mosaic, I I think this does, like, rank up there with some of the better of My songs from this year. And when I say that, I understand that all of their songs from this year have just been like, top-notch and next-level. E- ever since I dropped Obsolete back in January, this band has been on the run of a lifetime. They are unfucking stoppable right now. Both of the EPs uh, from February and then May, respectively, I think it was, have just hit I- in every manner that I would ask for And a Mice and Men release to hit. Whatever is going to happen with this next EP, I look forward to it, and selfishly, I would really hope that this EP cycle finishes before the end of the year so that we can get them compiled into one album like the band members have said before is going to happen and I, I say that because um i i feel really good about of my cement chances when it comes to year end awards season let me just put it that way and leave it there paris collaborated with league of legends for the world's 2021 theme song it is burn it all down For those who don't know, Worlds refers to the League of Legends World Championship that happens yearly. What they do sometimes is they will get bands to like record theme songs, original songs for the event. And they've used um, some of, like some scene acts before, like Against the Current and The World Alive. I want everyone who might be unaware to understand like the significance of actually being enlisted to record a song for Worlds. Uh, so against the current song was called legends never die it has 304 million streams on spotify it is far and fucking away their most popular song and then the world alive i'm pulling it up because i'm pretty sure it's the same fucking case uh let me see here how many streams is the world alive song so the Word alive song uh was called rise and it has 170 million streams so, this is a big fucking deal, when you can record a song for Worlds, and I want that same level of, of success to transfer over to Paris. The song Burn It All Down itself is very electronic-based. It doesn't sound too different from anything that Paris would have been doing on their own. It's just maybe a little bit more aggressive, a little bit catchier, or maybe not catchier, but just like... uh I guess that electronic rhythm really lends itself to, like, the... The delivery of the song, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, th- this does sound like a world song. It sounds like a song that you can easily imagine being played in a giant sold-out stadium. Uh, you can imagine it being put into some montage videos for a League. It achieves everything that a world song needs to, and now all I can hope for that follows is the same success for Paris that I said for Against the Current and The Word alive. The final single that I will be singling out for this chapter is Every Guy Ever by Charlotte Sands. Fucking pop punk queen out of absolutely nowhere, and I say out of nowhere because... The other Charlotte Sands singles from this year have been more grounded in like power pop and pop rock than anything else. Not so much pop punk yet just from the opening uh the opening instrumentation of Every Guy Ever, you can immediately pick up on that pop punk influence. It sounds like something that you could hear out of like State Champs or Knucklepuck, or maybe even like some of the contemporary pop punk revival artists. I I didn't really want to make this comparison because it sounds like easy and cheap to make because they're two female solo artists, but like Avril Lavigne was one of the things that immediately came to mind when I was listening to Every Guy Ever and just how easily this could have fit in into that era of pop punk. This song is catchy, it's angsty, it's, I would imagine for a lot of people listening to it, very relatable. It just sounds like one of those songs that it understands like modern society and it understands what like it's meant to be and what it's meant to do and every guy ever is easily my favorite charlotte sands song i've ever listened to and the other thing that i want to mention and emphasize is that me talking about this song last does not mean it was like my least favorite of my favorite singles after the scenic overlook cut off for the single section of chapters uh the ordering is kind of done at random every guy ever came so close to making it into scenic overlook I was like so on the fence about this song and like, you know, ultimately it didn't make it just because like, you know, nine and 10, I felt were just slightly, slightly, slightly stronger. But every guy ever is one of my favorite songs of the entire year so far. And I want to make it clear that I fucking love this song. I love Charlotte Sands. I think she is doing everything right at the moment. And I think she's somebody who more people should be made aware of. So now, I will just briefly mention the remainder of the singles from last week that I said on social media I liked. Rainbow Veins by Bullify Valentine. Haven by City State. Blood Moon by Converge and Chelsea Wolf. Prism by Dream Awake. Danny Phantom by Jutes. You Look Stupid by Lolo. Back Home by P- Magnolia Park. Somebody by Memphis Mayfire. You and Me Together is a Problem by Rami featuring Jutes. Comfort in Familiar Pain by Sentinels. From Ruin, We we Rise by Shadow of Intent. And Ghost of Me by Whatever Forever. There was no single from last week that I said I didn't mind or didn't like. It was kind of a lighter week for singles, but uh, lighter in quantity, definitely not in quality. Like The singles were really, really fucking good, and I definitely suggest checking out not only the ones that I've been talking about for the last however many minutes, but also the ones that I didn't get to. So we got six records to get through, so... Again, this is going to take a little bit of time, and I apologize for that, but if you actually listen all the way through, then I greatly, greatly appreciate that. I'm going to go ahead and start off the records with an album that I was looking forward to, but maybe not necessarily for all of the right reasons. And it comes from easily the biggest band with an album last week, and it is See What's on the Inside by Asking Alexandria. My relationship with Asking Alexandria is kind of fucking wild. I, I discovered the band like a couple months before Stand Up and Scream came out, and it was on some demos for songs that ended up being on that record, like uh, A Single Moment of Sincerity and Not the American Average, I believe, was the other one. So I've, I've been riding with this band, well, riding and not riding with this band for a very, very long time now essentially half of my life and they are one of the few bands where they have both one of my favorite albums of all time as well as one of my least favorite if i were to make a list of my 10 favorite songs or or favorite albums i've ever listened to there is a chance that stand up and scream would be on there and on the opposite end of that if I were to make a list of my 10 least favorite albums I've ever listened to, there is a chance Like A House On Fire makes it. I try to be as compassionate as I possibly can be when reviewing shit, but if this podcast had, had existed back in 2020 when Like A House On Fire came out, I would have just gone off on it. I, I would have been so unapologetic and just probably really, really harsh on it. Um, I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I like one song on there. Uh, which was, they don't want we, what we want. I think the violence is okay, and then everything else just it, as far removed from anything that I associate asking Alexandria with being. And maybe that's, maybe that's where I am at fault, because like I said, uh, the word association when it comes to asking Alexandria, my, My like when when I think of asking, the first thing that comes up in my head is the video of a prophecy where it's raining on them and like the crab core sound that Stand Up and Scream is grounded in, and then uh the follow-up to that being Reckless and Relentless, which still has like some elements of Stand Up and Scream. That is what I think of when I think of asking Alexandria, and that's not good because they have not been that band for a very long time. I think on bits of From Death to Destiny, you could easily pick up on what direction Danny Warsnob wanted them to go into, and then if you go even further along than that, uh what he was doing with We Are Harlot and then his solo stuff, it made it very, very clear that this is someone who doesn't have doesn't have interest in Metalcore anymore, and that's fine. You know, people move on from genres. People want to try different things. And that's totally okay. Um I, I think the thing about Like House on Fire, aside from just the way it sounded, that rubbed me the wrong way was in the lead up to the record, The members were, you know, quoted as saying on different media outlets that this is who they really are. They're not stand up and scream records and relentless. They don't want to be that band anymore. They don't like that music. And I guess like I'm not, I don't try to take that personally and I don't want to make it sound like I took it personally. It's just when, when a band has material that means so much to me and I hold so close to my heart, it's kind of, it sucks when When you can sense that they feel so detached from those times that you are so enamored with. But just from one bad record, I wasn't going to give up on asking. I fully intended on still paying attention to them. And whenever they did something new for a new album cycle, I was going to check it out, regardless of how I felt about Locked on Fire. So that brings us to the cycle for See What's on the Inside, which began back in August with the single Alone Again. I reviewed that back on the show when it dropped, and I had a lot of good things to say about it. I still have a lot of good things to say about it. I think Alone Again is a very, very good song. I think it was a good single to at least give some kind of a hint as to what the direction for this record would be, which what, what I saw that initially as was like an expansion on House on Fire, but with a lot more elements from self-titled. And I think ultimately, that is, for the most part, the direction that this record goes into. I'm going to go ahead and just put out there how I feel overall about see what's on the inside. It, it's okay. It's very okay. And that is a massive improvement from Like House on Fire, which I would have considered to be like a dumpster fire. That, all that being said, it's just Okay. I do not think this is better than self-titled, or the Black, or From Death to Destiny, or Reckless and Relentless, or Stand Up and Scream. I think it sits pretty comfortably near the bottom of asking discography. But again, just because of where the bar was from Like House on Fire, I feel pretty good about this record, or or at least about as good as I can with a record that I still have a couple of th- more than a couple things to, I guess, air as grievances. Um, so the record opens with the combo of intro and Alone Again, intro just being literally a small intro section to Alone Again. Uh, like I already said, that song is pretty good. And then the the strand of songs that come afterwards, Faded Out, Never Gonna Learn, and If I Could Erase It, I was more than content with those songs. I think they show off that like rock and roll style that Asking is really, really going for and have been going for for a while now. And it takes those concepts and it gives life to them in a way that I don't think anything on Like House on Fire did. So that was already, you know, a pretty cool positive. And then the record goes into Find Myself. And this is where I kind of came back to reality. The, um, there was a, a Twitter thread that Danny Warsnob put out either right before this record dropped or right after he did. And in it, he said that Find Myself is the best song Asking Alexandria have ever written. I'm not going to say he's wrong, because it's an opinion. He's also the guy that wrote the fucking song, so he is more than allowed to feel however he wants to about it. And all that being said, I... I think that him saying Find Myself is Asking's best song is 100% absolute fucking cap. That song is not that good. It's kind of boring in a lot of areas. I don't think it's bad, it's just pretty boring. And I heard the song and I was like, okay, asking improved in certain areas while not necessarily regressing, but just kind of staying where they're at in other areas. The song that follows Find Myself is called You've Made It This Far, which I'll I'll go ahead and say I heard a couple days before the record dropped. It got premiered on some radio station. I don't, I don't remember which one, but it got premiered on the radio. And I found a clip of it on YouTube, and I heard it. And that song got my hopes up tremendously for the overall direction of this record. You've Made It This Far is probably my favorite Asking Alexandria song since Something on the Black. I don't know if it's The Black, or Let It Sleep, or uh, what was that first one called? Um, I Won't Give In? Uh, it, it's, it's my favorite song since one of those, so that expands at least like five and a half years. I think You've Made It This Far is an incredible song. It's got a lot of heart to it. It It's one of the instances where, and this was like very rare on Like House on Fire, it feels like the band actually has something to say. It's just a very catchy song that has genuine meaning to it. And, you know, for all those reasons, I absolutely adore it. It's my favorite song on the record. It was one of my favorite songs overall from last week. I've listened to You've Made It This Far so many fucking times, and I... I envision myself still doing that in the foreseeable future, and then following. You made it this far. The album goes on a stretch with uh, the title track "Misery Loves Company" and then "Fame," and it was kind of a chore to get through those three songs. I heard those three in a row, and it was just like you know, reiterating what I said about find myself. I was just like, yeah, this is asking. They they are still very much so who I think they are, not entirely. But there are still a lot of hints of what I detested so much about Like House on Fire. Uh, My mom had heard me listening to Fame when we were driving in a car together. And she told me that it sounded like poison. And, you know, I don't really... I don't have so much of an attachment to 80s music. I kind of don't like 80s music whatsoever. And her saying that kind of made me understand why these kinds of songs by Asking Alexandria feel like they're not meant for me and why I struggle so much to have some kind of, like even a, a sliver of a connection to with these tracks. Because it's just not for me. And Asking Alexandria, they, what, what they've shown me with Lighthouse on Fire and See What's on the Inside is the days of me, like, absolutely championing championing this band to the extent that i used to like it's done and that's okay you know i have i don't want to say lost because that sounds really really dramatic but i've become disconnected from so many bands that i once loved like avenge sevenfold kill switch engage um atreyu those kinds of bands and you know asking falls into that category now and that's okay there's probably a shelf life for every band that i like and Asking Alexandria's has kind of, like, come and gone. Uh, the album does finish with The Grey, which picks things back up. And The Grey is one of my favorite songs on the entire record. And I was at least thankful that I could close out this record on a positive note, given that towards the end of it, I was picking up a lot more negatives than anything else. Um, so I guess my closing thoughts on see what's on the Inside is, it's an okay record. And okay is... Significantly better than what we got on Like House on Fire, but just selfishly, you know, I look at this band's past material and a record just being okay is insanely disappointing. And I, you know, I'm still gonna listen to Asking Alexandria whenever they do something, that's never gonna change. I just understand that I probably won't be overtly excited anymore for anything that this band does, and again. That's completely okay. They have an audience that they are catering to, and I really, really hope that that audience treats them well and can give them elongated success. And yeah, I just you know wish all the best for asking and what they do from here on out. And some of it is going to be for me, and then a lot more of it will not be for me. So overall, See What's on the Inside was a record that I ended up liking less than I was hoping to. Whereas right now, I want to get into a record that I ended up liking substantially more than I ever expected to, and that is the new release from Wage War called Manic. I'm not sure if it's fair to call Wage War a polarizing ban or if they are just polarizing to a certain sector of the scene audience that you are automatically exposed to if you venture into, like, Reddit or Twitter or Discord. Because C- if you look at Wage War and you try to gauge their success off of, like, YouTube numbers and Spotify numbers, you would think that this band is as popular and widely acclaimed as, like, architects or motionless and white but then you go onto the sites and the apps that i already mentioned and what you see are people citing wage war as being like generic metalcore or uninspired or just other synonyms for boring basically to be completely honest i am strangely of the belief that wage war has gotten better as time has progressed So I first heard of this band back when they dropped Alive as the lead single for Blueprints. That was their debut record back in 2015. And I thought Blueprints, I felt similarly about Blueprints that I did the follow-up to that, which is Deadweight. In that this was a band that was doing metalcore very, very well. But at the same time, they were surrounded by bands that were taking similar concepts and doing them just a little bit better, in my opinion. Just with a little bit more expertise and prowess. And I, I never had anything against Wage War. And I still never had anything against them, even when all of that shit with Low went down. And for those who don't know, and I mentioned this earlier on this episode, actually. Chapter. God. I'll get used to that. Um, I mentioned that the riff of Low by Wage War sounds dangerously, suspiciously eerily close to the riff of doomsday by architects and i know that there were a lot of people who were you know pretty up in arms about that because of the significance of doomsday and what that song means to the scene and how impactful and important it is to all of us so in that sense i would say you know okay whatever i get it and then the rest of pressure dropped in 2019 and pressure was a record that I really liked at the time. I still do really like it. Maybe not as much as when I first heard it, but I still do like it. Uh, apparently, I like it more than a lot of people do because it is kind of considered to be a drop-off point for Wage War. I like that album more than Blueprints and Deadweight. I thought Pressure was good, but listening to that record, I didn't really hear a band that I believed had the potential to grow. I thought if anything, they could kind of stay at that base level that they established on pressure, or they they ran the risk of dipping below that and diminishing in quality ultimately. With uh, manic, they dropped three singles ahead of time, and I believe they were high horse was the first one. Was it? I'm checking real quick. Uh, yeah, high horse, and then circle the drain, and then teeth. Those three songs, listening to them for the first time, back when they dropped as the singles, told me that there wasn't really anything to worry about with this record. This was still wage war. And, you know, you can take that as a good or a bad thing. For me, personally, I took it as like, okay, this could be a record that I like, but I don't know if I'm going to come on my show and have a ton of things to say about it. I had actually even forgot that this was a thing. Um, I was... I had mentioned this to Sam from SOTS in like this little, uh, Twitter exchange that we had where I, and this will be an interesting topic for another time, but basically like the, the marketing and promotion for Scene Records right now feels like it's like maybe the lowest it's ever been because e- even though Wage War wasn't really on my radar, this is a big band. You know, I should have seen a ton of promotion on the part of Fearless Records for this, this album and I kind of didn't. So, It was easy for me, as somebody who doesn't totally pay attention to Wage War, or I don't go out of my way to pay attention to Wage War the way I do other bands, it was easy for me to forget about this until the time came to actually listen to it. So I press play on the record, and it opens with Relapse, and hearing Relapse, I was, like, I was fucking amped to get through the rest of this record. Like, that is exactly what an opening song should be doing for for anyone. You know, it, it it showed me like, okay, it's going to take a lot of the concepts from pressure that I really like. But then also some of the smaller things from Deadweight and um, Blueprints that I thought worked really well for Wage War. So this felt like the most cumulative work that Wage War could have possibly put out. And Relapse was a very, very good introduction to that. And then it goes into Teeth. And I just said like, you know, when I first heard Teeth as a single, I was like, okay, this is pretty good. Maybe it was like just because I was coming off of the song relapse, but teeth hit fucking different on the record as opposed to being a single back a couple weeks ago or whatever it was. Teeth is an outstanding song. And then after that, it goes into the title track. The title track reminds me of something that I would have heard Kane Hill do on like smile or too far gone. It has like that like sort of contemporary new metal style to its delivery that I really, really fuck with. What I said about teeth also applies to High Horse and Circle to the Drain. These songs that were initially singles, hearing them as part of the full body of work, they just made a lot more sense to me. And after that, the record, the, the record is like, in all honesty, almost flawless in my opinion. Um, and that was made apparent to me like immediately upon hearing godspeed and once we got into the chorus for godspeed godspeed reminds me a lot of the line which is my favorite song from pressure and probably to this day is still my favorite wage war song ever so having a song that felt like the spiritual successor to the line in a lot of ways that really really meant a lot to me and godspeed came so so close to being my favorite song of all of last week and i would have never imagined that i would be talking about a wage war track as being like number three or two or whatever it was ultimately in scenic Overlook. there are two other songs uh in like the last portion of the record that have a lot of similarities to godspeed those being slow burn and true colors and what i mean by that is those three songs they have like similar themes when it comes to the concepts of the track itself and the structure and the layout of it it's basically like you know more melodic than some of the other stuff on the album, and I really, really think Wage War does melodic stuff like I- I incredibly well. M- maybe one of the best in all of metalcore now that I've actually like sat down and had the time to let Manic settle in and I- accept it as being one of, honestly, one of the strongest metalcore releases of the entire year. I, I really, really believe that. There's a song, it's track number seven called Death Roll. Death Roll is in some ways, uncharacteristically heavy for the kind of release that Manic is, and Death Roll, like, that's gonna fucking deliver in a live setting immensely, dude. Like, if I ever happen to be at a Wage War show and Death Roll comes on, like, it is on site in the fucking pit. I'm not even playing. Uh, if Tomorrow Never Comes is the closing track on here, and, like... I think it's a little bit maybe forgotten for me personally like just with the quality of everything that came before it. but having said that if tomorrow never comes is still an outstanding track an exceptional track it is the perfect closer for manic and I I I think even if like it's one of those songs where like in the the days that have passed since Hearing Manic for the first time, I have those moments where I'm like, Wait, what did that song sound like? But then I go back to it and I'm like, oh, that's what it sounded like. It sounds really, really fucking good. Um, I think the reason why I gave this record a 9.5 instead of a 10 when I reviewed it was just off of the initial listen. And the belief I had back then that Never Said Goodbye sort of slows down the momentum just slightly. But having gone back and listened to that song a couple times... It's really, really growing on me, and I I do kind of wonder, like, it, would I go back and change this to a 10 rating if I could? Would I go the full 10 on it? And I, I, I think it has every right to be deemed perfect. I absolutely fucking love Manic by Wage War in a way that I really, really didn't think was possible. I went into last week, I said, initially even forgetting this was even going to be a record release last week. And coming out of all the releases, I look at Manic as being one of the strongest overall. It is this incredible body of work. I think it is the best release to date for Wage War, and I feel like I am completely turned around on this band now. And when I say completely turned around, I don't mean like I was against them before, but I was like, you know... They might just end up being a forgettable band ultimately, and there's no way I'm gonna forget them now that I've been exposed to something like Manic. Right now, I wanna get through the one EP from last week that having been the debut release from Cherry Amore, internal discussions. Cherry Amore did not necessarily come out of nowhere over the summer, but they came as close from out of nowhere as any band possibly could. So they were formally known as One Life to Lead, and One Life to Lead wasn't really a band that I paid like an extraneous amount of attention to. I had kind of just heard of the name in passing before through social media, and then that was kind of it. I didn't, I don't believe I ever bothered to check them out, honestly. And then they changed their name to Cherry Moore at the start of June, signed with Equal Vision Records, and dropped the lead single to Internal Discussions, which was Burn. I remember the day before Burn dropped, uh, Equal Vision posted on Twitter this little teaser of the video and the song, and it was only like, it, it was not even a long teaser, maybe like 15 seconds at most, maybe 20, I don't remember exactly, but whatever the length of it was, I just ran through that motherfucker on repeat constantly for maybe like an hour. I'm, I'm not even joking. I remember I was sitting in my mom's apartment that day and I came across it and I was like, okay, let me just listen to this real quick, see what it is. And it was the second chorus and like I was just so blown away by how advanced this band already sounded. But of course I couldn't just automatically assumed that Cherry and Moore were going to become players in the scene off of one song, a, a debut song for that matter, technically a debut song. Uh, you know, I kind of had to like take the approach of like, okay, I really, 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 really fuck with Burn, but I kind of got to wait and see what else this band can do. And so a little while after that, they dropped Orlando as the second single for this EP. And hearing Orlando, that's where I was like, yeah, the this is it these are our new kings these are the guys who have every right to take the the scene flag scene banner however you want to phrase that and just fucking run with that thing dude and just carry it wherever they want to what the combination of orlando and burn told me was that this band understood exactly what they're trying to do and how to not only obtain that sound but also master that sound and i don't really really know what you would call this i i guess like like r&b core in some kind of way like just this amalgamation of different like sectors of pop and sectors of scene music actually now that i think about it i believe that Something I had read back when Burn dropped. It was not a press release. It was probably some bio that the band wrote. Actually, was it their Spotify? I'm going to check if that was their Spotify bio. Um, hmm, I'm not sure where it went. Oh, never mind, never mind. I found it. Uh, so it, it directly says on their Spotify bio that this band takes influence from a plethora of artists such as Linkin Park, Bring Me the Horizon, Don Broco, and Dance Gavin Dance. That is such an appropriate way to describe the sound of Cherry Moore and even then it feels like that's just like barely scratching the surface of what this band actually entails uh, you you really really do need to hear this this is a band that you absolutely must listen to for yourselves to fully get a grasp of the genius on the part of every member of Cherry Moore and everything that I've been saying about Burn and Orlando and how much I love those two songs The same thing was reiterated to me with A Beautiful Mess, A Perfect Disaster, which was the last single drop of this record. I talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show. And I hope I got across back then just how much potential I have been seeing in Cherry Amore. And then getting internal discussions, that brought with it two brand new songs that only further like reaffirm everything that I have been saying about this band. The first of those two songs that shows up in the track ordering is Imposter. Uh Imposter has a little bit of a different pace compared to the three singles, yet it still has the same level of ferocity as those others. Um and with Imposter you kind of get a, a little bit of a you got some of this on Orlando towards the end, but I think with Imposter it really really hammers in the flow of Trey Miller because in the verses he's kind of able to I don't want to say like he raps, but he's able to implement this flow that It's mostly supported by R&B tones, yet it has, like, flares of hip-hop integrated, and I think that is such a cool way to make Imposters stand out from the rest of the material on this record. And even outside of Trey's performance on vocals, this song, like, in and of itself is an instrumental showcase, and everybody in the band is really, really given time and their own space to show off what they can do, especially Ronnie Sherman on drums. Some of the fills that he lays down on Imposter are, like, they they kind of come out of nowhere, but they are so fucking cool, and they really, really add a lot of flavor to Imposter. The other new song on the EP is Too Nice to Say. That one actually does integrate hip-hop into a, a lot of what it does. Like, almost the entirety of the first half of the song feels like, um, you know, more along the lines of hip-hop than anything else, and... Th- this was a- another really really cool way to make too nice to say stand out and have its own identity against the rest of the songs on this ep and like let me, let me figure out how i want to say this too nice to say it it's a little bit two-faced and i really really appreciate that because it, it closes like almost as like far apart on the spectrum as it possibly could from the way it begins because like i said initially the song feels very hip-hop based And then by the end of it, like, there's all this kind of distortion and it feels like the song is just, like, combusting and disintegrating. Yet, like, it's still cohesive. You can still, like, really, really fuck with what's happening and vibe with it. And not once in that midst of chaos do, at least for me personally, I didn't lose any interest in what was happening. If anything, like, that confusion, like, it just made me more, like uh like in tune with what was going on and then you know it goes into what was a closer orlando yeah it goes into orlando as a closer and b- by that point i had already you know listened to all the songs because orlando was a single prior and my my listen through for this ep i spent all of orlando just being like in awe at everything i listened to and just so appreciative that we can get a band like cherry Moore just come out of like i said earlier almost nowhere and and be this fucking good immediately. And like, I, I, I'm i not going to say like, um, I'm not going to try and trash other bands when I say this. But that's not my intention. It is almost embarrassing how good Cherry Amore are on their debut when there are some other scene bands who are like a handful of records into their careers and they don't even come close to capturing my imagination the way that Cherry Amore do. This is a band that off of one ep i can already say like they have it locked down already for rookie of the year as far as scene acts go i think Sherry and Moore can take themselves wherever they want to If if you're not paying attention right now you really really need to start there is so much on internal discussions that i think everyone listening to this and anyone who has any kind of interest in scene music can really really gravitate towards and find a lot to love about what they're listening to and yeah, that's kind of like, you know, the overall point I'm trying to make is that you need to pay attention to Cherry Amore, you need to know who they are, and if you just choose not to, then you're gonna be left behind because there will come a point later on I don't know when it'll happen, maybe a year two years, a couple years online there will come a point in time where you will not be able to evade any discourse about Cherry Amore So I'm not sure if this record was a surprise drop, but it was a surprise to me when I saw it show up in my Spotify bell notification thing at the beginning of last week. And that is the new album from Bill Murray called 400 pound Back Squat. For those who might not be aware, Bill Murray is a legitimate veteran of the scene, having previously been a member of Attack Attack back in the late 2000s. If you don't know who Attack Attack are or were, um, just, just wait on it, because there will come a day, there will come a chapter where I talk extensively about Attack Attack, because I am somebody who lived through that era of the scene, and I have a lot of things to say about Attack Attack, uh, but that's for another chapter. Right now, I have a lot of things to say about Bill Murray, because I think Bill Murray is one of the brightest and most creative minds in the entire scene, and he's also one of the hardest working, because 400-pound back squat is his 12th project in six years. His fucking 12th. I don't even feel like I completed 12 school assignments over the course of six years. And this motherfucker is just putting out projects. And they're not exactly short projects either. They range anywhere from seven to nine songs. So regardless of whether you consider that to be like EP or album length, these are real full length releases that Bill Murray is putting out on a consistent basis. And Bill Murray releases have become like one of my favorite fall pastimes over the last couple of years. Uh, he doesn't, like, he doesn't exclusively release shit in the fall, but that's just when I have, like, the most association with Bill Murray. Uh, there was one song that dropped as a single prior to the release of 400 Pound Back Squat, and that was Lord Farquadzilla. I talked about that, uh, kind of at least briefly, I think, on an episode from a couple weeks ago. I had a lot of good things to say about not only the song itself, but also the music video, and the video I think just further exemplifies why I believe Bill Murray is, like, just of another breed, why he is a genius when it comes to this kind of stuff. He understands comedy in a way that you wouldn't really think, like... You, you don't need to understand comedy for this kind of music to work, but just the fact that it's an area of expertise for Bill Murray, it, it's another layer to the the growing legend of his whole act, honestly. There are actually quite a few features on this record. I, I believe there are more features in songs than there are tracks that don't have guest spots. Uh, so, Laura Farquazilla was one of them, which featured Jonathan Young, and then the following song, "A uh, Cowboy's Heavy Load, that features uh, Kaiko, and she comes in during the second verse, and her voice is just beyond enchanting and really, really helps set... A Cowboys heavy load aside from the rest of the material on 400 pound back squat. Uh, level 99 roid mage. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, Bill Murray titles are all one name and one word, I mean, and it's kind of hard sometimes to figure out what I'm actually supposed to say. Um, you know, I was meant to be an English major in college. Uh, yeah, that, that went fucking nowhere um still guys ready though with a different degree but you know anyways en- enough about my fucking uh academic tenure uh with level 99 Royd mage roid mage fuck me man uh it features seneca who um you know has a, a vocal spot uh i think in the the second verse as well uh the other thing about level 99 Royd mage is that song is so goddamn chaotic and all over the place um it kind of like has this blend of like that alternative style that bill murray normally utilizes uh with a little bit of like this pop flair and that was another um that that was another theme on a cowboy's heavy load the power song but then level 99 roid mage actually goes into a breakdown and it is fucking sick and was unexpected and there's like also this section i I think it's prior to the second chorus where it, it sounds like uh, there's like this glitch where the audio goes quiet for a second and then sort of comes back a little bit and then fully comes back. Uh, just little production quirks like that, I think, go a long way in helping set an identity for a release like this. Uh, Large, throbbing, positive mindset was another high point for this record. And, and honestly, maybe, at least as of right now, the high point of 400-pound back squat, just in my opinion. Uh, that song... So every song on this record is really catchy and just uh, like so easy to vibe to, but there's something about large stopping positive mindset that takes those ideas and just really, really elevates them to this point where I was, like the first time I heard this song, I was kind of just like sitting back in a chair at Starbucks. Yes, I'm fucking name dropping Starbucks again in a review. I should try and reach out for a sponsorship on this show. Wouldn't that be sick? get me sponsoring fucking uh or get me sponsored by starbucks i mean uh i should honestly have like share in their fucking company at this point by um considering how much money i spend uh in their establishments anyways uh what song was I on oh large sobbing positive mindset i was like sitting back in a chair and kind of just letting uh, uh, the music I- engulf my brain and it was this really really Euphoric experience, especially when trella came in on vocals, it's just another outstanding guest spot where Bill Murray is able to have someone come in and kind of balance out his act. And not that he needs balancing, but just these elements that aren't normally there for Bill Murray songs. There are a plethora of guest features that are able to do just that. And trella is one of them, and she does this outstanding job with large stopping positive mindset it it uses a lot of what i said about level 99 roid mage and that there comes a breakdown but then it's still enchanting in a lot of ways the rest of the instrumentation and the production on this track and i just really really thought that large stopping positive mindset i don't even like saying that song name i don't know why um it it just really really like it it was really really good I, i don't really know what else to say about it other than that i fucked with it immensely and you know by this point in the record i'm like yeah bill murray's still got it bill murray's always gonna have it like this dude just fucking gets it and it's always cool to be able to listen to artists who above all else man just just know the game and know what they're doing keeping it beefy featuring oblivion that's the final uh feature spot that i have to talk about for this record that one I want to say, like, it really, really takes chances in its production and the implementation of, like, more pop-based kind of uh, production. It just sounds like something that, like, uh, god, who was the guy that made the fucking, um, Zed, Zed. It does remind me of, like, a Zed track in the way that it sound, the way that it's structured and formatted, yet it retains everything that I love so much about Bill Murray songs and just Bill Murray's act altogether. Um, Like with Keeping It Beefy, it feels like just this like real pull of everything that the record has utilized up to that point. And it's not even the closer. So like, you know, I'm listening to Keeping It Beefy and I'm like, man, there's still one more song to go. Like, what is that one going to be? One of the songs that I didn't get to talk about earlier because it doesn't have a guest spot. I guess spot feature was Jacked and Stacked mass Monster. That song has this huge chorus, probably maybe my favorite chorus on the entire record. It's just really, really catchy. It's such a good time. It's everything that Bill Murray exceeds at providing uh, his audience with. It also kind of utilizes dubstep after the second chorus, and that is... There's a lot of electronic and pop elements on 400 Pound Back Squad, but not like exactly dub so that was able to give this song its own unique identity, and then the closing track, Relaxing Box Fan Sleep Ambient Noise, is that the whole thing? No, Sounds, number three, why did I say Noise? Relaxing Box Fan Sleep Ambient Sounds, number three, that's the name of it, that's the closer. Uh, that song, it's another example of Bill Murray using, like, the pop and electronic, uh, flares throughout his own alternative style. I know I've said pop and electronic a lot in this review, but I want everyone listening to this to understand, like, that's not actually a Bill Murray's avenue. That's not actually what he does. He's just able to bring in those ideas into his own sound, his own established tones, and Craft This incredible body of work that feels like not only like a, a greatest hit in a way, it not only shows uh, this weird a- amalgamation that Bill Murray has shown time and time again that he's capable of succeeding with in terms of like how he can provide these sounds, but also it, it, it shows that he's able to take ideas that are kind of like out of his element and only use them to further, like, assess just how, how unpredictable his music can be. I know I probably don't make any sense and I'm just rambling, but I'm really trying to say that, like, Bill Murray is so good that he doesn't have to just recycle his own sounds. He can go out and find these other ways to make his sound more full, and it just works tenfold, in my opinion. I think Bill Murray is, again, a genius. He is one of the best minds in the entire scene, one of the best musicians, and just anything this guy sets his mind to, he's going to fucking do. And, you know, I'll come back on this show in like fucking six or seven months and just say all of this over again in regards to whatever his next project is going to be. So we got two records left for this chapter, and right now I want to bring us into the discussion relating to the brand new album from Andres called Adventures of a DIY
1: Astronaut." and i
0: Sometimes listening to Andres makes me uncomfortable. And that's not necessarily for like the way that the songs sound so much as it's almost like I'm just looking into a mirror and I am having like my own thoughts of self-deprecation being saying back to me. And that shit is weird, man. That is... For me to put up with that, you kind of have to be like, at least in my eyes, like really, really fucking talented for... Me to allow you to get away with calling me out this way. And Andres is worlds beyond talented enough to be able to just come at me that way. And for those reasons, I kind of want to be careful with how I go about reviewing Adventures of a DIY Astronaut because I'm not necessarily down to let everyone know, like, every single line that spoke to me. And made me feel something because then it's like, I I probably have like other questions to answer. Um, so I'm going to try and keep this as non-personal of a review as possible. This record spawned three singles. The first one dating back to, I believe it was June when I heard it. Maybe it was July, but I want to say June is where I have the association with it. And that was My Future Ex-Wife by Happy Hour. So, my future ex-wife told me immediately, like, okay, this is going to be, like, through and through an Andres record, there is nothing different about his approach to the way that he writes songs, and I really, really appreciate that, because, like I said, like, it's like looking into a mirror, and for as strange and weird as that is a lot of times, it's also kind of necessary, and I appreciate there being an artist out there who is able to provide me with this kind of experience that I don't believe I can go to anybody else for and as far as like the actual sound of the song my future ex-wife it has like like a jazz a feel to it in certain ways yet it also still feels and sounds very emo and that's something that I think is so unique to Andres and his body of work so I, I was really really glad that He was able to expand on those sounds for Adventures of a DIY Astronaut. Uh, The single that followed that was Shit Could Be Worse. I believe that coming out of the couple times I've been able to listen to this record up to now, Shit Could Be Worse remains my favorite song on it. It's just really, really catchy. And, you know, like, again, like I said earlier, just this honest fucking take about a lot of bullshit. And it's... It, it, it's insane how much I'm able to connect to a song like this. I don't really want to connect to it, but, you know, you don't have a choice in what kinds of songs, what types of songs you resonate with. You just do, and, um, shit could be worse. It, 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 it really, really is true, man. Shit could be worse, but it still fucking sucks. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm very, very grateful that I was able to have a song like She Could Be Worse be with me over the last, you know, five weeks, six weeks, however long exactly it's been since I dropped. And then there was Prom 2012. Prom 2012 has, like, a a more complete sound, I would say, than My Future Ex-Wife and She Could Be Worse. It sounds more, like, just grand in the way that its production gets across its themes. And... With prom 2012, it was, that was the final instance of where, like, I just had no worries whatsoever about what Adventures of a DIY Astronaut was going to be. I knew, like, you know, okay, I, I'm gonna get to come on here and talk about an Andres record the way that I want to, and that's all I was asking for. Uh, the record opens with All American Boogeyman, and I don't really know what to try and, uh, like, Explain this song as being to anyone who hasn't listened to it yet. All American Boogeyman starts off with like uh, this a cappella thing going for it, and then it kind of ventures into ska, or at least I believe that what I'm hearing is ska, and then from there you've got the like theatrical, jazz inspired uh, sonic tones that I think Andres is known for, but then by the end of the song, it just kind of spirals into this. aggressive whirlwind and it actually does pick up in intensity and like listening to that song if this was my exposure to Andres I would have been immensely fucking confused like am I a girl by poppy levels of confused uh there's a song a nice soft painless lie that actually features Andy Sizek from various projects but maybe most notably Makari. and that song reminds me of and I don't know how many people would like know what this actually is when I say it, but it reminds me of Rogue's theme from Sonic Adventure 2. It has like that same like soothing jazz thing going for it while just kind of also being a, a little bit chaotic, a little bit all over the place, but just I- in the right ways and just being so characteristically Andres in that sense. And it, it really wouldn't be a proper on the rest review if I didn't go into specific instances of really cool lyricism. I've been gaining weight in my stomach and my face. It must be my age because my habits haven't changed. Since I've been 18, it's been a series of long-term relationships and chasing my dreams in dive bars across the country. I went from hanging at Whitney's apartment to working at restaurants every night. These days, I'm chilling at Cameron's apartment and music is paying my bills, but shit hasn't changed that much, has it? And... You know, with with a verse like that, I I think if this is your first time listening to Andres, I would hope that you are captivated by the approach that this guy takes to storytelling and writing lyrics and how open and brutally honest he is with everything that he's saying. Because this guy could have just laced everything that he's saying with like metaphors and all this weird cryptic bullshit, but it's just like, no, he's just going to put it out there. A lot of times Andres is lyrics are worded like tweets that end up going viral and i am so fucking happy that that's the case and that that's the way that he looks at storytelling the song crisis on infinite earths is almost entirely acoustic yet it carries some of the more dark lyrics or or like dark lyrical moments on all of adventures of a diy astronaut so like just Take this uh this section towards the end of the song. There's no escaping me, there's no escaping this. This is permanent, like the marks on your wrists, and I would die for you, and even if you died, I would search the multiverse for you. So like yeah, that is pretty brooding and sinister, but at the same time, that line at the end specifically, I would search the multiverse for you. It's just like this really, really cute and quirky line that I could only ever imagine someone like Andres delivering, and his delivery on it is fucking second to none. Anime Mommy was this really soothing song, laid-back song, that it it tells one of my favorite stories on the entire record, and it's just laced with all of these different anime references. So like, um, you know, the opening line, I'm waking up in Comic-Con like, who is she she's got that blue hair and those ears just like a bunny i had to walk up to you with some confidence saying what up balma can i get your instagram just like this really really fucking quirky fun shit and i i i love that for on this i really really do um the chorus she likes to dress like faye valentine loyal just like misa amane control me like kagume i'm sitting and i'm gonna pull all my put all my cards on the table like your uh, sakura baby so, Faye Valentine being from Cowboy Bebop, Misa Amane being from Death Note, uh, Kagame being from Inuyasha, and then Sakura being from Naruto. And then you go into the second verse, uh, Mikasa es Sukasa. I'm your Deku, you're my Uraraka, I'll treat you like you are my Nesko, my girl. And so, uh, Mikasa from Attack on Titan, Deku and Uraraka from My Hero Academia, and then Nesko from Demon Slayer. Me being like the fucking anime nerd that I am, I just gravitate towards this song, and like, this song could have been about fucking nothing, it could have ultimately been like this really shitty story, but just the fact that it's like this really really fun little story attached to all these anime references, like, that is such an easy, easy way to pull me into your shit. I'm kind of skipping around because of what I said earlier about not wanting to get like too personal with this review. Uh, so, I'll go ahead and talk about the closing song, "Miss November. It kind of mixes, like, these acoustic tones with almost video game-like music going on. And, like, instantly once the first verse comes in, I'm, like, kind of, like, punched in the fucking gut. And I'm like, oh man, this is, like, this is, like, a crazy-ass song. I heard you've been sober for some time now. Is it because your uncle died? I turned my back on you in twenty fifteen because I couldn't stay inside. The thought of me in the shower for too long always made you insecure. Now he's got your eyes taped open wide cause he makes you watch his porn. Jesus, man, like I, I I've said this time and time again in this review, I'm sure, but like I'm just so appreciative of Andres being as open and honest as he is. And it's, it's a different openness and honesty from when i talked about this is how the world ends by badflower last week that openness and honesty like that is the kind of shit from badflower that could like get you in fucking jail whereas with uh adventures of a diy astronaut i'm listening to andres just pour his heart out and i'm like dude like just adapt d- d- me up man like it- it's gonna be okay uh i can't actually say that, say that for certain because i don't know if i'll be okay but th- that's not the point the point is that Andres just comes across like such a, a bro that you just, you want what's best for him. You want him to be happy. And I hear these songs and I'm like, man, y- y- you deserve better. Like, you shouldn't have ever been put in a position where you were even able to write songs like this. And, you know, that's a connecting thread between every song on Adventures of a DIY Astronaut. I listen to this record and I'm just like, so enamored with everything that this guy is saying. And the social media score I gave this was 9.5. To be completely, completely honest with everyone listening to this right now, that like docking of the .5 was literally just for how painful it was sometimes to hear these things being spoken to me. Because like I said before, it's just almost like this mirror image and all these things that I like don't want to hear about myself. I refuse to hear about myself, but... Andres is kind of just forcing me to shut up and listen to these things that are so at times uncomfortable, but also just necessary. And I'm really, really glad that there was a a music experience out there for myself, like Adventures of a DIY Astronaut, that could kind of put me in this metaphorical chair and just explain all these things to me and make me think about my own life in ways that I might not have without something like this. We're almost reaching an hour and a half of this chapter now. And I I do apologize for that. But at the same time, if you've actually made it this far into this chapter, then thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I really, really do appreciate every single stream that I receive for this show. Whether you stream it for, you know, 10 seconds or halfway through or the full runtime. I'm just thankful that you gave enough of a shit to at least check this out to some extent. And one of the reasons I'm thankful for all that is because you're giving me the opportunity to talk about a record like the one that's coming up right now. And after an incredibly impressive singles run, this became one of my most anticipated records of 2021. And I didn't feel that way coming into the year. Fragments of a Bitter Memory by Dying Wish. In the short time that I've been aware of Dying Wish, I feel like the last few months have been the first instances of me, like, truly finding out just who Dying Wish are exactly. Um, so, like, my journey with this band, uh, dates back to when, uh, Knocked Loose had Emma Boaster featured on a song. I believe it was called Serpent's Touch. It was back on a different shade of blue, and that's already been, like, Uh, two years by this point. And then a little bit after that, uh, Brian Garris from Knocked Loose was featured on a Dying Wish song called Enemies in Red. And I listened to that back when it dropped. It was like in either October or November of 2019. And I thought it was good, but I didn't really think much of that song beyond that. Um, I thought Emma sounded fucking amazing. And that's always been the constant as far as like, my admiration for dying wish goes emma when i was introduced to her on a serpent's touch she was incredible and then listening to enemies in red i knew like okay this girl's got some real fucking talent and that is maybe not enough to like fully send dying wish to that next level but it's a great start enemies in red is actually part of fragments of a better memory it's just updated to match the mixing of the rest of the record uh, the same thing happened with Innate Thirst, which was a Dying Wish single from last year. Innate Thirst, I remember hearing that and still just thinking like, okay, this is a good song. I do enjoy it. I enjoy this band. But not once did I ever believe that if they had an album in 2021, it was going to be something that I'd place in like that upper echelon of records that I've heard in the last couple of years, at least in recent memory. And what happened in the singles run for this record was I had to really, really understand and learn, like, okay, Dying Wish are doing some amazing things. Like, things that I kind of embarrassingly didn't realize they were capable of. Because these were songs that weren't just good. They were great. They were pretty much flawless, in my opinion. So, that that kind of all starts with the title track, which got released, I want to say, back at the beginning of July. And hearing that... I was just so blown away by the cohesion in that song, how great it sounded, how all the members were just, you know, carrying their own weight and doing exactly what they needed to. The cleans from Emma that come in briefly in like the middle portion of that track, everything about the title track, it w- cemented that this is a band that I have not been paying anywhere near enough attention to. And then those were, that song was followed by Until Morning Comes and then Severing the Senses. With Until Morning Comes, you kind of got a little bit more of that taste of the cleans from Emma. And again, she sounded amazing. And I was just like so captivated by everything that I was listening to. Severing the Senses, I talked about a couple weeks ago. I cannot put that song down. I've not been able to since the first time I heard it. Hearing it as part of the full record, Fragments of a Bitter Memory, I still feel as strongly about it as I did back then. And going into last Friday, this was the record that I was looking forward to the most, and coming out of last week, I am of the belief that this was the best record. The record opens with Cowards Feed, Cowards Bleed, and that is a sub two-minute song that is more than just an intro. It is a full-on standalone track that absolutely measures up to everything else on this record. The opening line to that song, and thus the opening line to the album overall, Your Demons Don't Lie and Neither Do Mine. And the, the delivery from Emma on that line while the band is coming in to its own behind her, it is one of the most powerful and emphatic openings to a record I've heard all year so far. I think Cowards Feed, Cowards Bleed is everything that you could ask for an opening song to be because that song lets you know exactly what you're going to hear on the rest of this album and the song that follows that hollowed by affliction just gets right into it from the get-go never once lets you breathe it never once lets up and that's a recurring theme throughout all the fragments of a bitter memory you are not given any sort of time to kind of take a step back and analyze what you listen to you're kind of just put through the ringer for 35 minutes straight and I really really appreciate that about this particular sound and this genre i would say that fragments of a better memory it lies comfortably in like this mixture of metalcore and hardcore and in some ways not totally but deathcore and i think that comparison i'm making or like those parallels that i'm drawing come from the record that this reminds me the most of that being allegiance by as blood runs black i can hear both those records back to back and i did so over the weekend and it made sense to me why fragments of a bitter memory is so appealing to me given how much it reminds me of like that mid-2000s era of metalcore that like i think It has a time and i'm so happy that there's a band like dying wish that can come around and give me that sound in such a a grand manner that i don't know if i'd be getting from other bands i couldn't imagine anyone listening to these tracks like cold hearts and bloom or now you'll rot and not be of the belief that they're listening to an absolute clinic on how to do heavy music in this day and age and what kind of like the themes that you should be incorporating into this type of music there was an interview that i watched uh, with Emma recently she did it with Notfest to promote this record and the band is from Portland and she mentioned how the events happening around Portland last year uh, with like the civil rights movement uh, in the wake of the events that happened to people like um, George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and that anger that the band was feeling they implemented that into Fragments of a Bitter Memory and you can absolutely pick up on that you can hear just from a few seconds that this is a band that is pissed off and they have something to say and they're going to, they're not going to apologize whatsoever for how they get that message across. And I think that is beautiful. It is just punk as fuck, hardcore as fuck. And it represents so much more than just like being a scene record. This is such an important release that I think everybody who considers himself to be part of the scene needs to dedicate the time to. The closing track, Drowning in the Silent Black, I think that song is the perfect cap off to everything that you heard up to that point on Fragments of a Bitter Memory. That song brings back the cleans from Emma and, you know, just like I said on title track and Severing the Senses, she is this immaculate singer who is kind of like, she's not going like full force with her cleans on this record she's only bringing in every few songs and doing it in like not the lightest way possible but just about near that line and i think if on the next record or whatever it's going to be from dying wish if emma chose to incorporate more cleans i would not blame her whatsoever this woman is just so talented at everything that she does and i think all of dying wish for that matter are The band is made up of these immense talents that, you know, cannot go unknown for much longer. They cannot remain hidden. And I would really, really hope that this record, even if it doesn't, like, allow Dying Wish to take off, it's at least the thing that propels them up a few notches and gives them a real stepping stone towards achieving whatever it is that they want to as a band. I, I feel so passionately about this record, and I... Again, I didn't come into this year believing that was going to be the case. I thought, if anything, there would be a Dying Wish album and I'd be like, okay, that was pretty cool. Uh, but not really think twice about it. I have not stopped thinking about Fragments of a Better Memory since last Friday. I have listened to this album multiple times every single day. It's 35 minutes, so it's so easy to get through. And a- along with that, it's just very, very enjoyable. And, you know, I could sit here and try and find all of the cool things to say about Dying Wish and Fragments of a Better Memory. I want to let the music speak for itself. So if you have not heard this record yet and you think that that amalgamation of metalcore and hardcore that I described is something that you can fuck with, then absolutely, 100%, go listen to Fragments of a better Memory. It is one of the best listens you can possibly treat yourself to this year. And that's it. That was every album and EP and single from last week that I had to talk about on this show. Uh I'm... I see, I see that I'm, like, nearing the hour and a half mark. Although I'm pretty sure, like, once I go back and put in all of the audio clips, this will exceed an hour and a half. So I'm going to go ahead and go off of here now and let y'all go about your days and do whatever you're going to do. I'm probably going to go watch Squid Game uh, just so I no longer feel left out of all the discourse on Twitter about that. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. And as always, for better or worse, Let's make a scene.